Welcome back. Here we go, everybody. Today's episode, we're going to be focusing on quality communication and how being able to learn and identify quality communication skills within our lives and relationships will improve our overall quality of well-being. And as an introduction, I want to share kind of a funny story uh, that comes from my own adventures in parenting. Um, I have four boys, and I love being a dad. And it's amazing how much like being a parent has taught me about just life, love, and, and everything. But anyways, when my oldest son was probably about four years old, uh, he was getting in some sort of squabble with his two-year-old brother. And so they're fighting over something. I don't know. I can't remember if they you know, had difficulty sharing a toy or something. But anyways, they started fighting, and my oldest son needed to apologize to my younger son. And so I'm like, okay, I, this is an opportunity for me to be you know, a good dad, involved dad, and to help teach him how to apologize and take ownership for his mistakes and try to make things right with his brother. So I sit them both down on the couch, and I look at the oldest one, and he keeps kind of looking away. Like, he won't look at me, won't look at his brother, and I'm like, you know, you need to say you're sorry. And he's like, I'm sorry. But he's not looking. And I so I, so I, so I, so I gently, you know, kind of take his hands and get down on his level, and I'm like, son... You need to look your brother in the eye and tell him you're sorry. And he gets this really confused look in his face. And he looks really uncomfortable. And then he proceeds to go over to his brother, sticks his tongue out, and licks him in the eye. And then says, I'm sorry. And I was so confused. And he was confused. And the brother who just got licked in the eyeball was probably most confused. But I remember like, like, dude, like, what was that? And then he looks at me and says, you told me to lick him in the eye and say I'm sorry. And I about <laughs> developed an ulcer from laughing. And I'm like, no, I like, look, when you're apologizing, and a good communication skill is to look the person in the eye. And anyways, we, we later, you know, clarified, no, you need to look him in the eye you don't lick people in the eyeball generally that's probably not a good practice to get into and while the story is kind of humorous it does begin to highlight one of the biggest challenges with communication sometimes the words we say are not the things that the listener hears and there's a lot of reasons sort of the wheels will fall off the bus with communication and today i hope to address some of the common reasons that happens as well as some best practices and some just good things to understand and know about interpersonal communication. Within my own sort of body of research I've conducted, couple communication is one of the things that I'm inherently interested in just as a couples therapist. And in one of my research studies, I found that when we perceive our partner as being a good communicator, we tend to have a higher self-esteem, so a greater appraisal of our own self-worth, we also tend to have lower stress, right? So there's something about when I'm in a relationship and that there's quality communication, I tend to report lower stress. Uh, I have greater sexual satisfaction, greater couple satisfaction, more relationship efficacy. And I know we talked about efficacy a little bit in a previous episode, but basically relationship efficacy is your belief and confidence in your relationship to do difficult, hard things. And then one of the things that's really fascinating to me is that there's less emotional suppression. So inherently there's something about being part of a relationship and quality communication is present 
that I suppress my emotions less, indicating that I'm more likely to express my emotions. And then overall, uh, secure attachment, which is pretty significant, right, when you consider attachment being this, this bonding between you and another person and the role of communication having in helping facilitate that sort of connection. In general, most people identify and accept that, yes, communication is a really important aspect to their relationships and well-being. In fact, when you look at issues leading couples going to couples therapy, one of the leading things they say is, oh, we need to learn to communicate. And this response always kind of makes me chuckle because when we look at the theories of communication, one of the prominent leaders' name is Paul Watzlawick. And in his seminal book that he co-authored with other sort of communication theory experts called The Pragmatics of Human Communication, he identifies five axioms of communication. And the first axiom being, one cannot not communicate. And I remember reading this book as a graduate student being like, what in the world does that even mean, that one cannot not communicate? And basically, what it means is that we are always communicating. When we're aware of it, when we're not aware of it, doesn't matter. That we are constantly doing things that those around us are trying to interpret and ascribe meaning to. What that also means is we communicate through our words, we communicate through our actions, we communicate through our silence, we communicate through our inaction. There are no points in time in which we aren't sending some sort of message that someone's trying to decipher. So when couples come into therapy saying we aren't communicating, the reality is they're communicating a lot, but the way they're communicating isn't helpful in each other understanding where they're coming from. And this is really important because research indicates the number one source of misunderstandings within relationships. Number one, we're not talking about number two, number three, number four. We're saying the number one thing that leads to misunderstandings within relationships is simply misinterpreting the intentions of our partner. And this can be really easy to do when you consider we are always communicating. And when we get lazy or if we turn the autopilot on or just go through the motions, we sometimes stop interpreting very accurately. Also, we sometimes stop communicating really intentionally about what we are trying to express. And this ties into Watzlawick's third axiom of communication, which he termed punctuation. And that's a word that sort of feels weird in this context, I think, today. But ultimately, what punctuation means is that we're organizing messages into groups and meaning. And so the way one person might punctuate the meaning of the message could be different than the way another person punctuates the message. Or in simple terms, during the same conversation, one partner could interpret one meaning that's very different than the meaning the other partner is interpreting. And this becomes really important to, to me as a researcher, a scientist, a therapist, because what we understand is that the more someone feels misunderstood in a relationship, the less, the less satisfaction they experience. So the next natural question really is, okay, how do people better sync their true intentions with their partner's interpretations of their intentions. And one of the first skills and concepts I introduce couples to that are trying to improve the quality of their couple communication is the idea of metacommunication. And the term metacommunication was coined by Gregory Bateson in 1951, and he originally described it as it's communication 
about communication. In other words, it happens when couples are able to zoom out and say, okay, let's move beyond just the content of what we're talking with each other, but let's begin exploring the process and the dynamics in which we're communicating. So we're not talking about the issue specifically. We're saying, but what's the pattern of the way we're communicating? And how do we potentially see this pattern across all sort of issues? And this really, really matters because oftentimes couples fight about dumb things that don't even matter and dumb things that don't matter that also aren't the real issue. For example, one of the issues that couples will come into therapy and talk about is struggles figuring out sort of household division of labor. What that means is we can't figure out who does what chores and have it be fair and equitable. So for example, if you have one partner that's just barely cleaned a room and then they go into it and now the partner's shoes are left on the floor. Sometimes they start fighting about the shoes on the floor and it looks like this. I can't believe you just put your shoes off. I just barely cleaned the room. Meanwhile, the other partner's like, what the crap? I just came home from work. Now you're telling me I can't take my shoes off? I should be able to take my shoes off in my own house. You tell me I can't wear shoes? And it goes on and on and on when it's never been about the shoes. And as long as they're focused on the shoes, each partner is going to feel misunderstood. And so where meta communication comes in is partners zoom out and they say, hey, Let's explore the way we're communicating about the incident with the shoes in the clean living room. And the way metacommunication comes back into this is when couples are able to zoom out and say, all right, let's explore the way we're trying to communicate. So the patterns, the dynamics, who says what, when, and where. They realize, wait, nowhere in this interaction were we using good I statements. Nowhere were we sort of each taking like accountability nor were we even being open and kind of vulnerable about what we're experiencing. But when metacommunication occurs, it allows people to say, all right, it's not about the shoes. It's more that I recognize that when I saw the shoes, I felt a little invalidated. I maybe felt a little disrespected. And I just wanted you to see and acknowledge that I had, ch- I had just barely cleaned the room. And this allows the other partner who took the shoes off then to say, oh, I I didn't recognize that's the way you were experiencing this. I I promise my intentions was never to make you feel uh, disrespected, but I can understood how it felt a little invalidating the way you cleaned the room and then if I just take my shoes off. Okay, so with this last example, is that super realistic? Does it usually happen that cleanly? No, of course not, right? Relationships are messier than that. But I promise you, when you really start thinking about the way you're communicating, it's so much more effective to talk about the process rather than the content. And by zooming out and communicating about the way you're communicating, it really starts couples to identifying the process then the dynamics and patterns that are often really the bigger issue in their overall communication challenges. And any sort of discussion on communication quality would be incomplete if we didn't talk about the differences between verbal and nonverbal communication. Remembering the first axiom of communication being that one cannot not communicate, or in other words, you're always communicating. And one of my sort of family therapist heroes, her name is Virginia Satir. She was influential in sort of the humanistic branch of therapy. And she indicates that from her perspective, only about 35% of messages are really comprised of 
what is actually spoken. So the verbal transcript of a conversation only makes up about 35% of messages sent. And that the nonverbal communication, so the body language and the tone and the phrasing of what we're saying, makes up more communication than the actual words themselves. And the great news is, when there's synchrony between both the verbal and nonverbal communication, we engage in what Satir terms as congruent communication, right? But when there's a disconnect between our words are saying one thing, but our body language or the tone in which we're saying it says something else, that would be incongruent communication. And the short reality is the more congruent we can be with our communication, the more we can say what we mean and mean what we say, the more we can match our body language, and our tone with the actual words we're saying, the more likely we are to feel understood in relationships. So we have a responsibility as the speaker in a relationship to do our best to engage in congruent communication. And if we are not matching our verbal and nonverbal, we are increasing the risk of being misunderstood by a partner where our true intentions are often inaccurately interpreted. Right, so as we begin wrapping up this episode, just wanting to acknowledge there is so much to communication. And this has been a really kind of quick introduction to some aspects of it. Uh, future episodes this season will explore uh, empathetic listening as well as conflict resolution. And so you'll get more you know, communication content weaved throughout those episodes. But as we wrap up today, the exercise I wanted to focus on is a technique called speaker-listener. And this technique was really first developed formerly by Howard Markman, Scott Stanley, and Susan Bloomberg, and in their book, Fighting for Your Marriage. And the speaker technique is fantastic in the way that it introduces structure and rules to communicating about sensitive things. And so a speaker-listener tends to be really helpful for couples that either escalate really quickly, where they, you know, they things start out pretty mild, but then all of a sudden like it goes to zero to 60 really, really, really fast. And so helpful for those couples as well as when couples consistently are misinterpreting the intentions of each other. Okay, so in addition to metacommunication, speaker-listener is really, really helpful for those couples to make sure that they are feeling understood. Okay, and so the way it works is each partner is going to take turns being the speaker or the listener. And there's a few rules. When you're the speaker, right, you are going to share and express your thoughts and feelings and observations, but you're not necessarily there to discover, you know, try to find solutions. You're just expressing what you think and feel. You also need to share who gets to be the speaker. So that means you can't go on long lectures or big like monologues. And you also need to create space for the listener. And when you're the listener, your job is to be able to paraphrase what the speaker is saying without sharing your own thoughts, your own opinions, you're not providing any rebuttals to their perspectives. You're just simply paraphrasing what you're hearing. And the speaker can continue then to share more. And once they feel sort of sufficiently understood by the listener, then they're going to trade roles. And now the former listener is now the speaker and begins to share sort of their thoughts, their feelings, their experiences, while the new listener is going to paraphrase their experiences. So all in all, it sounds really kind of simple, and it is. And it might also feel a little mechanical at first, but the reality is it's so powerful when you're the speaker and you're sharing your thoughts and feelings in a calm manner and the listener is able to paraphrase and you're like, yes, that is how I feel. And oftentimes feeling understood by your partner is so much more important 
than any of the solutions you would ever find or discover together. All right, so that concludes this episode. Uh, Please tune in next time as we begin to cover empathetic listening and the power listening has on our overall well-being and our relationships. Stay zesty, everybody. Peace.